Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning, and I'm going to invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. Um, some of you are going to swipe in your Bibles. That's okay, too. I get that. But we want to take a look this morning at a very intimate letter and a very, uh, a very passionate letter that the Apostle Paul shared to a young man by the name of Timothy. Do you know, every now and again, I, when I'm feeling ambitious, I go to the workout, and the, the workout instructor says, look, I, I want you to get the most out of this workout. I didn't expect you to just get up this morning to come here and to go through the motions. So I want that to be the, the, the same feeling for us this morning. I want ultimately to look into this word of God and identify what it is as we consider the claims of the Lord Jesus and then go here as changed people. I want to get the most out of this workout this morning. I'm going to be eager to hear what you have to say at the end of this message as far as what these verses mean. The Apostle Paul, in his missionary journey, he, he came very close with two young men. One of them was Timothy and one of them was Titus. And he wrote a letter to Timothy, and then he wrote the letter to Titus, and then he wrote a letter to 2 Timothy. It was the last letter that he wrote before his death. As a matter of fact, this young man named Timothy was one of the last people that the apostles saw before he died. And so he was very close to him, and there was a lot of intimacy between them. But this is a very powerful letter also. And in, in, if you're not in the... Um, on a daily basis, picking up God's word. You know what? I want to encourage you to pick up 1 Timothy. I sort of rediscovered it. It's not that I haven't read it before, I haven't enjoyed it before, but here at like 52 years of age, I sort of found this letter again, and I've really come to love this letter, and I want you to love it this morning as well. So the Apostle Paul is going to write to Timothy. The Bible tells us that Timothy had a believing mother. Her name was Eunice. And Timothy had a believing grandmother. Her name was Lois. And Timothy's father was not Jewish. And he was not believing. Now, it doesn't mean that he wasn't a bad guy. I'm sure he paid the bills and showed Timothy how to swing a bat and explained to him about danger. But there was nothing spiritual about him. So he came from a family where his mom was a believer and she was Jewish and his dad was not a believer and he was a Gentile. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody like that today where you say, you know, I pray for my kid, but I just don't know where they are spiritually. I want you to be encouraged because the Bible tells us that God is going to use Timothy in a powerful way, even though I don't think his dad ever came to faith in Christ. The next thing I want you to know about Timothy is, is that he's a young man. He's timid, and he's kind of sickly, and he's kind of shy, and he doesn't know when it is his turn to talk. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a position in your life where you say, I've never really took a step forward for Christ, you know? I'm sort of like going through my life, and I'm, I'm marking all the lines, and I'm crossing all the lines, but, but, but I've never had the opportunity to be counted and stand up for something as far as the claims of Christ. I want you to be encouraged because the Apostle Paul is going to encourage Timothy to make those steps. And you're going to read about it, and we're going to read about it this morning. The next thing about Timothy, before we read a verse, is this. He comes from Lystra. 
I mean, Lystra is a nothing kind of town. You might say, look, has anything come out of Lystra that's profitable or good? Where are you from? How do you spell that anyway? And God is going to use Timothy, even though he comes from, from little Lystra. He finds, Paul finds Timothy when he goes to this little town. He's stoned and he's left for dead. And this is when he's going to have the opportunity to proclaim the greatness of God that's found in Christ to this young man whose name is Timothy. Now, I want you to just notice a couple of really important things. So let's take a look at this passage. Verse 1, it's a powerful verse. They're all powerful, John. Yeah, I know that. I know they're all powerful. I love this verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Can I say it again? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, Timothy was not his biological son, and that's true. But Timothy was his son in the faith. Now, the Apostle Paul in this letter is going to write some pretty important things. Very intimate, yes it is. But in this letter, he's going to have the chance to talk about church leadership and how that's supposed to look. And church organization and how that's supposed to look. And church worship. He's going to talk about the qualifications of elders and the qualifications of deacons. And he's going to talk about church discipline. And he's going to talk about how is a man I'm supposed to worship and how is a woman, how, what is my role? And he starts off, Paul, an apostle. You know, um, my dad, he... Um, he had a pretty important job. Uh, he had a pretty big job while he was here. And every now and again, he would write, and it didn't happen that often, but every now and again, he would, he would write his boys little, little letters, little notes, little encouraging notes. Dad never took the Exxon stationery. He never had to use the senior scientist, paramens, chief scientist, and those letters that were after his name. He never used that when he wrote to me. I know that stuff already, Dad. You don't have to tell me about the senior scientist and the oil additives. I get it. I live with you. Why does the Apostle Paul, if it's so intimate, why must he start? Paul, an apostle, by the commandment of God our Savior. Why does he got to do that? Timothy knows all of that. The reason that he does that is for me, and it's for you, because it would be very easy for me to step back and say, oh, the Apostle Paul is writing about elders. Yeah, but you know what? He's writing this in like 64 AD. Like, I don't even know how far ago that was. And he's writing to his son, and he's writing to his son in the faith. And he's writing with her no cell phones. <laughs> Why would it be that the Apostle Paul has to do this? Because he's writing this letter to you. And he's pulling out the big gun of his title right at the beginning. 
so that you and I know that this is how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the church of God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's one of the big verses in this book. So that I don't say, oh, you know, Paul, you're writing this. This is the role of the elder. But you know what? That was written so long ago. And you're writing, Paul to Timothy, Paul, dear Timothy. No, he's not. He's writing this in such a way so that is very transparent for me living in this day and age that this is how God wants me to behave in the church, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. This big verse, this first one's an important one. You know, I'm a teacher, and um, the parents, they, everybody loves to tell their titles. And uh, I get these emails from the moms and the dads, and then after their printed name, my kid forgot their spelling, can you do this? And, and after their printed name, there's all of these letters behind their name. I don't know what any of those things are. I start Googling them. And then I write back, sure, here are the spelling words, John Shetlick, and then I throw some letters in there, and I just, I just email it back, yeah, here. The apostle, when he writes to Timothy, it's very intimate, and it is, but he wants to make sure that you and I get it. And so if you read, and I pray that you do, this book, which is six chapters only, you're going to have the opportunity to find in it this explicit instruction, not just for Timothy's day, but for our day as well. I want you to just notice what he says before we, we, we move into this. I want you to notice this. He says in verse 12 to his son, right? He's writing to his son in the faith. What would you write to your son? What would I write to my son? I have three, I have three things. I have three sons. There are three things. I have three sons. Yes. Yes. There's a lot that I would like to write to them about at the moment. But there's, there's, if I was writing to my son, what would I say? You say your great accomplishments. If you're writing to your daughter, if you're writing to somebody that you would want really to roll out all your big things, what would you say? Well, the Apostle Paul says this. I want you to notice this. He says in verse 12 of this chapter, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, listen, if you underline your Bible, this is it. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You see that? The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. That's pretty big. The Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith. What does he say to his son? Oh, Timothy, let me just, just sit down. I, have one, I want to tell you, by the way, when I found you in Lystra, I was caught up to the third heaven, and I heard things that were so amazing. Let me tell you what those things were. 
Well, Timothy, I want you to know that with the exception of Dr. Luke, I wrote like most of the New Testament. Oh, Timothy, I've traveled extensively. and my training, I grew up at the feet of Amelia. I was the Pharisee of all the Pharisees. I know all the big boys. I've had the opportunity to meet so many impressive people. And I've been shipwrecked, and I've been stoned, and I've been beaten, and I've been, I've been bit by snakes. I can top all of those things. Well, we love all that. Paul doesn't say any of that. He says, Timothy, I want to talk for a moment. I want you to know something. He says, I was a blasphemer, and I was a persecutor, and I was a violent man. That's what he says to his son. It's kind of hot, isn't it? You know, if you were going for a job interview, and you brought your beautiful resume in there, and you put the resume on the, on the boss's desk, and the boss said, just, you know, there's all these resumes what can differentiate you from all these other people? Just tell me three things about yourself. You say, well, I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. <laughs> yeah, right? I'd like to date your daughter. I'd like to take her out. I'm a violent man. Yeah. Goodbye, right? But the Apostle Paul does that, and he does it for a reason. Because he talks about grace in the next verse. Now listen, I don't know where you are, but we, for the most part, as people, are haunted by our past. We're haunted by our past. And of the thousands of thoughts that we have on a daily basis, 90% of those thoughts are the same thing. And most of those thoughts are broken things in our past. You know, there's broken dishes and broken cell phones and broken cars, but I don't care about those things. I'm talking about broken relationships. And don't tell me it doesn't happen where you don't hear stories of, I haven't spoken to my brother, I haven't spoken to my mother. How many years has it been where there's been this brokenness here? And I feel as if I'm dislocated from a holy God. Because my past, it's, it's just a train wreck. If I got into it, I just would start crying. I don't even want to go there. Paul says, let me tell you about my past. Mine was the worst. He says, this was a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if anybody is keeping score, I'm the chief of those sinners. That claim you can't have. You can't have. I'm the worst. So I don't know what it is that your past haunts you about today. I don't know what it is. Something that happened in the past with a relationship with a, with a child or, or, or some hidden sin that you, you, I spent years in pornography and I just, I just can't forgive myself for it. I don't know. But I do know this, that the grace of the Lord is abundantly greater than your past. That Christ came that we might have victory over sin. That's true. But it came ultimately that we would not be a slave to our past. He did that. And the beautiful example that he shows to us is the great example of the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 14 that the grace of our Lord, of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ. 
So when you hear those voices in your mind in the middle of the night, I just want you to know that the grace of God is greater than your past. Yes, it is. The grace of God is greater than your past, whatever it is. That God's grace can conquer anything. And the love of God cannot be separated from you. Many of us have learned those verses. The question is, am I ever really going to start to believe them? When we read that nothing can separate me from the love of God which is found in Christ. Angels and principalities and powers and thrones and dominions and height and depth and the whole list. The question is, when am I going to really embrace that? And say, Lord, I am so thankful that I am loved by you today. And Lord, I am so thankful that your grace has freed me from whatever my past, wherever it brought me. And Lord, I'm so thankful that I can go to live and love because of what you have done. So praise the Lord for that. So he does write to, to his son about that. And he also writes to his son about church. And it's kind of interesting because he's going to urge Timothy to stay in a church called Ephesus. Let's take a look and read in verse 3. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. The apostle here has the opportunity to tell Timothy to stay at this church. Stay at this church. Don't make a run for it. Stay. Today, in America, we choose churches for a whole host of different reasons. We choose churches for their music or their friendly people or for their programs or for their parking lots or for their coffee. We choose churches because of humorous presentations and all different types of activities. But none of those things are mentioned in 1 Timothy. Now, that's not to say that I don't like preferential parking spots, and maybe it's a good idea. But that's not the reason that God has given us the great gift of a church. Paul started local churches. He wrote letters to local churches. He was burdened for local churches. He taught in local churches. He was not interested in establishing churches that please me, cater to my needs, but rather, what is it that God wants? What does the model look like that God wants? How does God want me to behave in his church? Now, take a look at this verse, chapter 3 and verse 14. It's a pretty important verse in this passage. Chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed... I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So Paul says, listen, listen, if I'm delayed, this is the way that God wants it to roll out. This isn't my preference. 
I'm writing this as the apostle, and this is how you are supposed to conduct yourself. God cares about how you and I conduct ourselves in the church, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Listen, I want you to know that the church is not the truth. Christ is the truth. The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It, 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 it holds up the truth or, or it expounds the truth or it shares the truth. That's why it's always so hard when somebody says, listen, I'm, I'm leaving this church and I'm going to go to this church because it doesn't meet my needs. I get it. I totally understand it. But the truth is, is that the church isn't really supposed to meet your needs. It's Christ who meets my needs. It's Christ who's going to meet my needs. And honestly, if Jesus Christ doesn't meet my needs, there's not a church in the United States that's going to meet my needs. His great work is the work of sanctification, that he's changing me. That's what he does. That's his... That's the great work of today. Otherwise, he would take me right to heaven. Sometimes I just assume go right to heaven. You know, where we live, the recycling is on Tuesdays, the second Tuesday of the month. We put out all the recycling. And sometimes I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I say, oh, it's Tuesday, recycling. I just assume put myself out at the curb for recycling. You know, I've had it with myself. I've given up on myself. I'm through with myself. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation, but today I don't really feel very new. But that's not the perspective that God sees me at all. The way that God sees me is this. He who has begun a good work in you, John, he's going to complete that work. He's going to complete that work. I am so thankful this morning that God's not done with me because there's days that I'm done with me. You see that? And if you're honest with yourselves, there's probably days that you're done with you, but God isn't done with you. If he was, he would take you right to heaven. In my life, there are so many uncompleted things, like my garage, and I try my best to to, to clean it out and to get done with it. I have these good ambitions. And at the end of the day, I just put a tarp over the, I just put a tarp over. I don't want to look at it anymore. But that's not God's perception, perspective for you. He who has begun a good work, he's going to complete that work in you. He promised to do that. He hasn't given up on you. That's really important. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, it's not the church that's going to meet your needs. It's Christ that's going to meet your needs. And he says in the book of Acts, and maybe we could just quickly turn to it. It's in Acts chapter 20. He says in the book of Acts, in chapter 20 and verse 25, Paul is... Um, has this layover, and he calls for these Ephesian elders. He calls for the leaders of, of, the, of Ephesus. He says these words to them. Chapter 20, verse 25, And indeed, now I know 
that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Paul says, this is the last time I'm going to see you. He says this to the Ephesian elders. This is the last time that I'm going to see you. You're not going to see my face ever again. Verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what he says. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Verse 30, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Paul says, for three years, I warn you, when I leave, that, that there's going to be conflict and there's going to be problems. There's going to be conflict from outside. Timothy, don't make a run for it. Timothy, don't, don't go somewhere where it's more comfortable. Or, Timothy, don't go back to Lystra and just decide you're going to go into whatever business it was that you were going to do. I need you to take a stand. This is your moment here. I need you to stay at Ephesus. I need you to have the opportunity to take a stand and don't be embarrassed or afraid or ashamed of your youth. I need you to lead. Because he says these wolves, savage wolves, are going to come in and they're going to have the chance to confuse and, and distort and, and, and they're going to scatter the flock. And that's going to be awful. Paul's writing this, probably with tears in his eyes. He says, be alert, be aware of what's counterfeit and what's not. Have you ever held a counterfeit money? Not monopoly money, right? Counterfeit money. Have you ever held counterfeit money? Would you know that it's counterfeit? I mean, honestly, to my eyes, this looks like a $10 bill to me, right? And this passes for a $10 bill to me. This is counterfeit money. How is anybody supposed to know that it's counterfeit? It, it's sort of the same way as far as the distortion of the truth of God and the gospel of Christ. How is anybody supposed to know? It's vital that, that those who name the name of Christ, that we pick up God's word, that we read the Bible, and that it's not about stories or humor or tricks or topics or the circus that comes to town. Because honestly, if a generation is to arise up after us, they have to be grounded in God's word. That's the way that it works. Moral confusion, doctrinal confusion. Paul tells people how we are to believe and how we are to behave in the church of God. Timothy, stay in Ephesus. There's great advantages. You know, by staying, you get to see the real person. I mean, you get to see me on a Sunday morning, and I'm, I'm in a nice shirt and nice slacks, and you give this talk, and then I shake some hands, and I go my way. But if you knew the real guy, you'd have to demonstrate a lot of love. If you saw me day in and day out, week in and week out, You'd have to demonstrate real love because it's hard to stay. And it's hard to be able to resolve 
But it's one of the great marks of believers that we overcome and that we demonstrate great love. And so the goal is not so much that so-and-so leaves and comes here and you swell. The goal is, is that the neighbor gets saved and starts coming here so that there's growth. That's a personal goal anyway, to grow instead of to swell. So the apostle says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and in chapter 1, he says, Timothy, I urge you, command them to stop, stop, command them to stop. Idle talk, myths, and endless genealogies, and they all want to be professors, but they don't know what they profess. And they fill the they fill the blackboard, the chalkboard, with charts and diagrams and symbols and stars and theories. And, and they just sort of sit back and say, hey, that's, that's really good. That's, that's, somebody ought to like make a series out of that. You know, that, that sounds really good. You know, um, a couple weeks ago, I got, I got uh, visitors that came to my door. And they were dressed in in beautiful clothing, and they, they, they came on a Saturday, and it was hot, and they rang my doorbell, and my dog barked, and I thought, and they waited, and I thought, all right, you know, I'm going to put my dog in the kitchen, I'll be there in one second, and I, I came outside, and they handed me some literature, and I said, you people are very devout, you're very devout I'm listening to what you have to say. And they gave me this, the literature on, this, on the watchtower, and I thank you for this literature. Can, could, can I just ask one question? There's just one question that I just have some confusion with. I mean, you've gone on now for like seven minutes. Could I just get a word in, just one word? This is a question. It says in this book of Hebrews, I could even like look at it. Could we just, you could look at it in your Bibles. In, in this chapter one, it says, and, and it says, and to the Son, he says, the Father to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. I'm, like, I'm just so confused on that. Why would the Father say to the Son, your throne, O God? I don't get that. Well, they didn't get it either. And the next Saturday, there were about eight guys on my front step. <laughs> Ringing my doorbell, my dog was barking. We got to get that right. That's really important. Would you know that? Would you know what I know to be able to turn to the book of Colossians and show that in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily? Or do I just sort of know that because it's sort of secondhand knowledge that I heard that in some song somewhere once? Now, we got to be right on that. we got to be really right on that. So the Apostle Paul is going to say, Timothy, you stay in Ephesus. And be careful the savage wolves that scatter the flock. But also, he shares with him this. He says also, Timothy, stay away. Stay away from all of these, all of this talk, all this idle talk, strayed from the truth, Concerning idle talk. Every now and again, I, I went to a men's breakfast growing up, and I sat in a men's breakfast, and 
I like the men's breakfast. I like to eat. And uh, this gentleman stood up and he, he starts talking about eschatology. You know, the end. This is how the world is going to end. It's September the 18th, the year 2018, and this is the reason the bear from the north and the dragon from the east, and I'm just sitting there and just listening to all of this. Very interesting. But it's all speculation. I mean, this is all speculation. We really ought to have like a whole men's series on this eschatology. Now, can we not do that? Can we not like get all of these different opinions about all this different stuff and then you get sidetracked on all of these different things? And so when, when, when Jesus had the opportunity to, to cast out that demon who says, Please do not advance your timetable. What would you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And those demons desire to be driven into those pigs. And the pigs come rushing down the mountain. And you're leading this Bible study and you get these comments of, you know what, I think I, I had a, a dog that is demon-possessed. And now the whole Bible study is about that. Timothy, be careful. You need to stay, and you need to have the opportunity to hold the truth, the truth that you've been shared, the truth that you've been grounded in. Don't be afraid or ashamed of your age. Have the opportunity to stand for what God wants. Just take a look at this, verse 3. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So in the small church that I grew up in, some comments about the church were, you know, that you're really strong in teaching, but you're really not very strong in love. So okay, you know, I'll listen. Strong in the teaching, not as strong in the love. But, and that's probably true. There's probably a lot of growth that needs to happen as far as love for all of us. But love is only produced when the truth is declared. Love flows from a heart that is gripped by truth. So this first thing that says from a pure heart, a pure heart, I can't change my heart. There's nothing that I can do to change my heart. I can't read a book about changing my heart. I can't listen to music that's gonna change my heart. There's no tactics that a speaker can give. It's God that's gonna change my heart. It's God that's going to change my heart. My heart changes when I see the grace of the Lord and how gracious he's been to me personally. That's where the change happens. That's when I'm free to have the opportunity to love because I've got a pure heart and a good conscience. Do you see that next one? People want relief from their conscience. I want relief from my shame and from my guilt. And so how do you do that? Well, so many of us, we run to just mask our conscience. We mask it all, whether it be in, 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 in medications or whether it be in alcohol or whether it be in entertainment or, or whatever it is. I'm just going to run from it all. A good conscience only comes not when I run away from it, 
But when I see that there is one who has victory over my sin and my guilt and my shame, a pure conscience only comes when I embrace how good the Lord Jesus is to me. And the Bible says, a sincere faith. See, it's, it's only going to be that I'm free to love you without jealousies or envy when I have that pure heart and when I have that good conscience and when I have that, that sincere faith. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy. Listen, I want you to stay in Ephesus and I want you, if you could, to hold fast the word of God. I want you to know, Timothy, that I was, a, I was really messed up, Timothy, but God's grace is greater than my sin. You know, I hope that, that all of us this morning have put our trust in the Lord Jesus. Really do. As, as our time is marching in our lifetime and we're all heading for the exit, I hope that you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus because he truly is the way and the truth and the life. The last point I'd like to make is a little bit of a personal one. In this passage, you're going to read about elders. First Timothy talks about elders. There was a short period of my life, maybe about five years or so, maybe a little longer, that I was an elder. Can I tell you, it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. It was harder than marriage, and it was harder than parenting. It was much harder than working with kids, and that's hard. The Bible instructs you to pray for your elders. The, the enormous responsibility that they have. And so if nothing else, this week... Would you pray for your elders? Would you pray for them by name? And would you ask that God's wisdom and discernment rest with them and their families? It's hard. It's hard. Would you support them? As we all have the opportunity to do kingdom work this week for the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord that his grace is greater than our past. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Your word teaches us that he is, well, that he is holy and harmless and that he's undefiled and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. We thank you that he came here and we thank you that he walked into to our flood and we thank you that his grace is greater than our sin and our past and our shame. And we do ask that our hearts could be encouraged and that our hearts could reflect his love as we go out to a dying world that so dearly needs the truth of the gospel. For we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.